A scripture reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord for Hope Covenant Church today. Amen. Thank you, Erin. Hello, everyone. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. It's so good to be with you guys this Labor Day weekend. And I was like, is that a joke? Because maybe <clears throat> that might happen soon. Maybe there's some extra blessing that comes with that. Um, and we will get to meet Baby T soon. Still unsure on the name, but it's fun to be up here. Before we get into it, I want to take a moment to celebrate some of the things that have been happening, particularly with a couple of Hope staff that I think we could all applause and uh, celebrate together. The first is Erin, who just read the scripture, our pastoral resident, turned in her last assignment this week for her Master of Divinity from Grand Canyon University. <laughs> So we celebrate that with you today. Aaron, it's a big deal. The other one, Devin, our youth associate, and his wife, Rachel, made things official with their baby girl, Evelyn Grace, on their I Got You Adoption Day. And they officially now have a Evelyn Grace Bruger in the house and is completely theirs. And so we're going to congratulate and celebrate them this morning. I love that Evelyn gets like a little gavel in that picture, like it's, it is finished. So excited for you guys. 
And so I get to be up here this morning uh, continuing in our series. We're doing a mini-series on our big three. And we're taking a break from a series that we've been in all year called Luke Jesus for Everyone. And so if you've been with us or if you're new, we're going to be returning to that series. And that's where we're going to be working through the book of Luke story by story. It's been a great series so far. But today in our mini-series on the big three, I get to talk to you guys about loving God. But before I do that, let's say our big three together. It is to love God, love others, and follow Jesus together. That's right. I love it, David. And so it's important to note that these big three are all intertwined with one another, right? In order to love God, an expression of that is we get to love others And then the best way, in my opinion, to love others is to do it together by following Jesus together. So they're all intertwined with one another. However, for today, we're going to not talk about the intertwining as I address love God. But I want us to focus on this. I want us to focus on to love God is to allow ourselves to be known by him and therefore Give our attention to him. So to get to this place, we're going to go in a reverse order of a journey that I've been on while sermon prepping for this particular sermon. There was a, a moment as I was thinking through how to love God and how to get there and why we even say to love God. Well, first of all, this comes from Jesus in his own words, right? Jesus was approached by a crowd in the middle of his ministry, and they were saying, hey, there's like 613 commands here in the Old Testament, right? Like, which ones are the most important? And Jesus boils it down to what the first and greatest command is, and you can find it in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I also have it up on the screen. And Jesus replies to this crowd. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is where we get the first two of the three of our big three. And I feel just like the crowd. I ask God today all the time, how can... I follow you, how can I live life with you? And I love that Jesus just boils it down really simple here to two things. Love God, love people. So in preparation for this sermon, I've obviously thinking about how do I personally love God? If I ask you guys that question right now, what's coming to your mind? What does it look like on a week-to-week basis for you to love God? Is there anything coming to mind? I've asked several people here at church and friends in my community, and I've I've landed at several answers that seemed similar to my own answers. Those answers were things like obey God, surrender, worship, pray, read scripture, love others. So that was the direction I was headed in this first draft of this sermon was a a really prescriptive and practical sermon where we can lay out all the ways that we can love God together. 
And don't hear me saying that those things aren't really good, good, good things that bless and honor God because they definitely do. But yesterday I was wrapping up my sermon to jot down some final notes on it and I felt like the Holy Spirit said completely rewrite this. So rewriting it meant making a voice memo for myself at 9 p.m. last night and this is what God, I feel like, gave for us this morning. And we're going to look instead at it being a really prescriptive and practical way of loving God, which again, those are all good things. We're going to look at three questions to be able to determine on how we can love God. And those three questions are to be, one, what is love? If we want to love God, then we have to make a definition for what love actually is. And then once we get that definition for love, the next is going to be, well, what does what love look like? What does love look like? And then once we have those two things, I think we can conclude with, how can we love God? So that's where we're going to end. And again, ultimately, my definition of how we can love God for the day, and you're going to hear it over and over again, is that love for God is to allow for ourselves to be known by him and then turn our attention to him. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump right into the text. God, thank you for this room. Thank you that we all have different love stories with you. For those that have been journeying with you for a long time and those that maybe have yet to even begin, that there is a love story being written. Thank you that you love us unconditionally, that you care so much for us, that you would know us, give us your attention, and allow for us to even give you back that attention too. So I pray for this time, I pray that you would use these words that I feel like you gave me last night um, in a new way, in a different way, to just look at this subject. And it's your mighty name, Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, so what is love? I definitely have baby don't hurt me, baby don't hurt me, no more in my head as I say that. <clears throat> Sorry, that wasn't in the script, nor Holy Spirit inspired. But what is love? You know, I think in order to get that definition, let's look at some of the biblical writers and, and, and how they themselves defined love. And one of my favorite people in the Bible is, is the disciple John. John has a gospel that he wrote. He also has three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that are attributed to him. And then there's the book of Revelation as well. And what I love about John, specifically in the Gospels, is he is unashamed. He is like, I am the one God loves. I know it. And he's so confident that he is so loved by God. And when we see those things in the book of John, it always makes me smile. And I always ask, can I confidently say the same thing? Can I walk around going like, I know I'm the one he loves? John surely did. And then what I love about his first, second, and third letter that we get later on in Scripture is we know because in, first and, uh, in second and third John that it says that he's writing as an elderly man. So John is at the very end of his life, and he is 
putting out these letters. These are his, hey, if, you, if I got to wrap everything up that I've learned about walking and living life with Jesus and then being a part of this early church movement and being a part of starting um, churches and being a missionary in foreign lands and discipling people, if I could sum it all up and give away the wisdom and the knowledge that I have learned in this time, it's this. And in 1 John, just like we heard Aaron read, he talks quite a bit about love. In fact, he uses the word love 45 times in that very short letter alone. It must have been a really big deal to Jesus, so John felt like it should be a really big deal too. This is what I appreciate about 1 John chapter 4, what will be today. And Aaron, thank you for reading that for us. But John defines love in this chapter. He says it multiple times. And he says it in 1 John 4, 16 like this. It's up on the screen. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. Not love is God, lowercase g. God is love, right? This is a powerful statement that John is making, and the word in Greek for love here is the word agape. Some of you might have heard that word before. But in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, in the Greek text, there's four different words that are used for love. Okay, there's eros. Eros is this passionate love. It's this romantic, physical love. There's phileo or phileo, which is this brotherly love. And C.S. Lewis says, this is actually the most intimate love we can get amongst friendships. So I love that type of love. Then there's the storge type of love. This love is family love, like a parent to a child or a family structure and system. And then in our text that we just read, we see agape love. And this is a new kind of love that was being established in biblical times. And this agape love in this term means unconditional love from God. So what's interesting here is in English, we only have one word for love, and it's love, right? So on a week-to-week -week basis, I might say things like, I love my dog, Paco, and I love sushi. Anyone want to get me some once the baby comes? Let me know. I love the ocean. I love unsweet black tea with a little squeeze of lemon in it. And I love my husband, Sam. But as I'm saying those things to you guys, you guys all know that the love that I'm defining is different for those things, right? Surely my love for unsweet black tea with the squeeze of lemon is very different than my love for my husband, Sam. So when we read scripture, it's important to note what the love is, what the love is that they're defining. And in this text, they're saying this is the agape love. This is the unconditional love from God. This is the type of love that no matter what you do, God still loves you. 
And it's the type of love of, of God that he loves you simply because he loves you. That's what agape love is. And agape love is demonstrated all throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul also, Apostle Paul also frequently writes about agape love. He says it like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love, his agape unconditional love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I'm pretty sure that's what love looks like. A God who sent his son, Jesus, to live among us, to live with us, that ultimately ends up dying sacrificially and unconditionally for us. And what's interesting about our text written by, first, or written by John is John would have known this very, very, very personally. He was writing at the end of his life, knowing that he was one of the few disciples who was actually at Jesus' crucifixion and death. In fact, he was the one that Jesus looked at and said, hey, can you take care of my mom? I'm going to bestow to you the responsibility of taking care of her. What a burden to be the disciple that Jesus looks at. John would have absolutely known what love is. And he would have absolutely equated God to be love. Because all he had experienced in Jesus' life up until this moment, and up until the last minutes of his life on that cross. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a room with someone who's taken their last breath but I have. It's definitely something you don't forget. There's an immediate absent from the body moment, hope that they're present somewhere else moment that happens that feels a little surreal. And I can only imagine this picture that John has while he's penning these letters later that we find in scripture as an elderly man Remembering in his body this exact moment of Jesus' last breath on the cross. And recalling to mind Jesus' last words, which one of them was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus was in the deepest pain, humanly imaginable, impossible hanging on the cross, and instead of looking at himself, Jesus looked outward. He says, Father, forgive them, and he even looks at the thief hanging on the cross next to him and restores to him some dignity in life and extends forgiveness in the middle of facing his own last and final breaths of life. He was able to look in love outwardly. You see, when I'm in pain, I don't feel like I naturally do that very well. Um, the last nine months have been proof of that. My poor husband, Sam, has had to be on the other end of that. Right? I definitely have trouble looking outward in the middle of my own pain. But Jesus 
was able to do so. And John writes about this in 1 John 9, uh, 4, 9 through 10. He says it like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think we have a definition right there. This is love. God is love, and it is that he would send his son to come and be with us. So what does love look like? Well, sorry to break it to all the teenagers in the room. It's more than just a feeling. I know that for sure. Although there's, you know, there are feelings involved. But when you look at Jesus and the way that he talks about love, it's always paired with some sort of action or behavior. Love acts. Even so, when Paul, Apostle Paul, uses the word love in his letters, it's usually paired with a behavior or action. So I'd like to say that love always requires a choice or is an action. Last week, if you were here with us, Heidi shared a sermonette off the stage, and she opened with this beautiful story about sharing one of her early church experiences where she went to church and she heard the pastor preaching about 1 Corinthians 13, and it was all about love. And I think here in 1 Corinthians 13, we actually see Paul writing on what love looks like and gives us an answer to our second question. You see, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians and to the church in Corinth, uh, he, he knew exactly who he was talking to because he was a part of starting that church. He lived in Corinth, he knew the brothers and sisters in that church, and he knew them very, very, very well. However, when we typically see or hear 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes it pops up at a wedding. Has anyone heard the passage, love is kind, love is patient at a wedding? Several of us. Paul was writing for a very different reason. He was writing because he had heard about some things that were happening in Corinth. He had heard that, you know, there was people who were suing each other. There was guys who were sleeping with their mother-in-laws. There was Sunday gatherings that were a wreck, and people were just blurting out all over the place, and communion was a complete mess, and people were arguing about the littlest things at the church. And so he actually wrote 1 Corinthians 13 as a critique and a challenge to that church community, not for a wedding. And Paul, in the midst of helping these group, these group of believers in Corinth settle some of this argument, he gives them this definition of love. And today, it's one of the most poetic and beautiful pieces of scripture that we have. And I have it on the screen for us to look at and read out loud. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but always rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So what does love look like? Well, Paul gives us 16 short definitions here. And in these 16 short definitions of what love, love looks like, they're all actions. None of them are feelings necessarily, or they're all choices that we get to make and enter into. And so I think because we have this definition of what love looks like, we can now settle the debate on our big three of what or how can we love God? How can we love God? Well, first, I want to say you can't give what you don't have. We have to be people who receive first and then give from there because here's the thing. We're going to run out of all the things that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to do at some point. Anyone with me? We can't do that in our own strength. But the good news is, is that there's an unending well of all of those things in the name of Jesus that we get to turn to, that we get to receive our source of love from. John writes in 1 John 4.19, he says, we love because he first loved us. There's the unending well. We love because he first loved us. We have to receive first before we can love. I like how the recovery version actually puts this. It says, God first loved us in that he infused us with his love and generated within us the love with which we can love him and brothers and sisters. God first loved us that he would infuse us with his love, steeped us with his love. Can you picture that? And then he generated, he produced within us the love with which we can then love him and others. So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can give God love. Well, again, I want to make the case that it's by choosing first to allow ourselves to be known by God. And this is a choice we have to make and uh, fight against our nature to stay hidden as people. We like to hide. Right? We see it from the very beginning in the garden. Our tendency is to hide. But the choice we get to make is to allow for ourselves to be known by God and to allow for ourselves to allow for God to see us and know us, right? If you have a relationship with someone or a child or a friend and they're constantly hiding things from you, you're going to feel pretty unloved. But when they make a decision to share their life with you and to open up and to allow you to fully know them, you will surely feel loved. I believe this is a way that we can show God our love, is to allow for ourselves to not stay hidden and be fully known 
by him. But to be fully known by God, it actually requires this word called uh, vulnerability. And vulnerability also doesn't come naturally to us. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. He writes about this, and he says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, unpenetrable, irredeemable. irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. For us, to love God, we need to make ourselves available to be known by God. And we can't do it by locking ourselves up in a dark casket or a coffin or a safe, dark, motionless, airless place like C.S. Lewis describes on this quote. And like any love story, choosing to be vulnerable is also really scary. Sometimes there's fear involved. But I love how John even knew that we were going to be fearful about this, so he addressed fear in 1 John 4. And he says it like this up on the screen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love who is God drives out fear. To love God is to choose to allow for ourselves to be known by him. And once we're known by God, or as we go through the process of being vulnerable and allowing for God to fully know us, he receives so much love back. That is a way we can love God. And the second way to love God is to give him our attention. Give him our attention. One of my favorite things about toddlers, I don't know who made this the universal rule for toddlers, but one of the first words that they learn is watch, watch, watch. They just constantly want attention, right? Watch, watch. In fact, I heard someone say this once. He asked his 10-year-old daughter, how do you know someone loves you? And she responded, they give you attention, I think turning your attention to God is a way that you can love God, right? Because in all of life, what we give our attention to is what we give our love to. What we give our attention to is what we give our love to. So how? How do we turn our attention to God? I want to encourage you to turn your attention to God in a way that makes sense to you. And I think that's what I love about, like, worship on a Sunday morning is you can see everyone's expressions of worship so beautifully and so differently. And you can see the way in which God has created people uniquely to worship him however they feel freedom and permission to. And giving your attention to God does not need to look like the person sitting next to you, the person across the room from you. Giving your attention to God gets to look exactly how you feel like God has created and designed you to give him attention. 
right? That's why there's different love languages out there, because people receive and give love differently. I'll end with a story, and I did ask my husband permission to share this, so I'm not on the, on the hot seat for it. But Sam and I uh, started dating um, after being friends for a couple of years, and we started dating in the middle of, like, the COVID lockdown pandemic. You know, we both had time, okay? And I'm a little bit more expressive. If you know my husband, I'm just a little bit more, you know, out there with my feelings and emotions and expressive than maybe he is. And so I came to conclusion that I loved him a little bit quicker than I think he got to knowing I think I love her. And so there was one night I was like, I know I want to tell him because I know this for a fact. There's nothing good or nothing bad I don't want to go through without this man. He's my guy. And so uh, I was like, I'm going to tell him. It's going to be beautiful, but I'm preparing myself to know that he's probably not going to say it back. Okay? Very vulnerable, especially for a woman, right? So we're sitting on the couch, and I express these feelings to him in all these ways that I just appreciate him and love him, and it was this beautiful, gutty, really emotional moment for me, and I say the words, I love you. And my intuition was correct. He couldn't say it back. But that was okay. I prepared myself for it. And so I said, I love you, and it was this beautiful moment, and then months went on. A couple months later, we were driving back from California after spending the holidays with his family, and Sam really likes to chew sunflower seeds when he's driving on long road trips, so he had a big water bottle that he just, you know, spits sunflower seeds into, and he had a cheek full, like, golf ball size of sunflower seeds, and he's spitting, driving in his truck, and we're headed through the desert, and there's nothing really beautiful about the scene at all. Sam glances at me, glances back on the road, and he goes, hmm, come to think about it, I do love you. It just makes sense. And then he keeps driving. And everything inside of me is like, stop, he just told me he loved me. Oh my gosh, this man does love me. I've been waiting months. Yeah, I was really excited about it. Not necessarily the most romantic moment, but it just makes sense, babe, yeah. So my response back was, I love you too, and we just kept driving. And later that night, I was laying in bed, and I was going through all sorts of emotions, like, am I disappointed that's how he told me he loved me for the first time, or do I love that he told me he loved me, right? There's all these things going on in my head. And what I came to realize at that moment was... It was okay for him to express his love for me differently than how I expressed my love to him. And it didn't change the fact that it was still meaningful, valuable love. It was the same love, it just looked different, right? And it was the way for him, that was so vulnerable for him, to be able to say that in that way. Whereas for me... It was this gutty, I probably cried and needed Kleenex, right, moment. But for him, it just made sense. And it was still the same love. 
And when we think about love for God, I think it's easy for us to go through this comparison process or, oh, how come that person can be so expressive and I'm not like that? Or, ooh, they're expressive and I would never be like that, right? There's this, there's this whole scheme of emotions that we go through. But what I want us to think about when we think about loving God is that we have the permission and the freedom to give our attention to God in the way he has uniquely and created us and divinely inspired us to worship and love and give him our attention. So, this morning, we're going to practice it. Everyone got quiet. We're going to practice it. This is the first Sunday of the month, which means it's Communion Sunday, and Communion Sunday here at Hope, in case you're new with us, we believe in open communion. Anyone can come to the table, and anyone can come and receive the elements. As long as you're a follower of Jesus, please do so. We have two stations on the left and on the right, and we're going to do communion a little differently today. So as the band comes up, and I invite them back up on stage... They're going to play a song in its entirety. And what my ask is that we would each spend the entirety of this song just with Jesus. That we would come to the table to receive the elements whenever we feel led to. It's not a everyone at once stand up and go. We, we have the whole song to do it. And maybe some of you this morning need to sit and steep and infuse with Jesus for a little bit. Or maybe there's things in your heart that have been hidden or things that you've been going, okay, God, like, I, I don't know if I can fully allow for myself to be known by you in this area. Maybe you need to just take a moment to do that with God. Maybe you need to turn your attention to God and reflect like John did in those final, final moments as he was penning this letter about Jesus on the cross and, and give God your attention in that way. And then when you're ready, come to the table, and you're going to receive the elements actually by yourself today. There's going to be people who give the elements, but you'll take them back to your seat, and you'll take them when you're ready to do it with Jesus. So I'm not going to come back on stage and explain what's going on. But this is what I want you to know as you take the elements. One, God has prepared this table for you. Majority of all other world religions, people have to prepare the table for God, their God. As a follower of Jesus and in God's kingdom, he prepares the table for us. So you can come to the table just as you are. And you come with the posture of doing it in remembrance of Jesus. And his final meal that he had called the Last Supper with his friends, right? He, he, he holds up this, this bread and he says to them, receive this. And he breaks it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the bread. And he does the same with the wine, and we have juice here this morning, but he, he says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Drink this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you. And so as you receive communion and worship and do whatever you need to do in this next song to just be with Jesus, I pray that you have the freedom to express yourself how you feel led to, that you would have the freedom to turn your attention to God, 
just as you feel like he is prompting you and that you would know that we get to love God because he first loved you and that would get deep, deep down into your heart. So if you're serving communion this morning, please come to the table and I will pray for us and I will not be coming back up as another reminder to lead us. So feel free to take the elements in your own time. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your love for us is real. Thank you that we get to respond to your love. Thank you that we get to respond to your love in a way that you as our creator, as our God has created us and that we would feel permission to allow for ourselves to be known by you and then give our attention to you. And thank you that we can even love you You don't need our love, but you want it. And that we were designed for a relationship first and foremost with you. And so as we enter this time of communion, may we remember what you've done for us and your love for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.